This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. I'm Ann Romer. This edition of The Feed is brought to you by Peak Performance. If you are a startup, a small business, or even a mid-sized enterprise needing professional HR support, your solution awaits with Peak Performance HR. Not every organization requires a full-time HR specialist, and Peak Performance HR offers fractional, flexible, and cost-effective outsourced HR services tailored to your unique needs. Visit peakperformancehr.ca. Coming up on the feed, Christmas with the Clemens. Students bridge the generation gap and the need for office etiquette. But we begin with Giving Tuesday. It is now an independent, nonprofit, global movement that inspires hundreds of millions of people to give, to collaborate, and to celebrate generosity. Here to tell us more about this incredible phenomenon, transforming communities and the world by giving, is Tony Brem, Program Manager, Giving Tuesday Canada. Great to have you with us. And we're, the countdown is on, Tony. We're just a few days away from Giving Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, the 28th of November. How did it all get started? Well, first off, thank you for having me. It is so exciting that it's fast approaching. Giving Tuesday was created actually as a hashtag. It started in a small community center in New York City in response to Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And um, it was just sort of a, a, an idea of why don't we um, piggyback off these two big days and launch a day of giving and call it Giving Tuesday. And 11 years later, it's grown to almost 100 countries participating in the movement. And why do you think that happened? Why did it snowball in such a positive way? Well, I think we all have the capacity to give. Giving shows up in so many ways. Um, I think a big focus um, has been fundraising, but the economy the way it is right now, you know, we can give by giving attention. We can give by volunteering. We can give just by being there for friends and family that need support. And I think that's a universal need. And um, yeah, it's amazing to see how much it's grown. You work for Canada Helps as well. And how did or does Canada Helps factor into all of this? Well, Canada Helps brought the movement to Canada in 2013, so it was the second country to join the movement. And we we power enable charities via technology to fundraise for the causes um, with tech tools online. So it, it really made sense to align with a movement that promoted giving, promoted the charitable sector, and we've been at this for 10 years. and. Every year it just continues to grow and more charities participate. And in my particular role, I'm working with communities directly. So it, it spirals beyond uh, just charitable involvement, but students are participating, retailers are participating, um, government is participating. It's really an open, a wide open movement and we encourage everyone uh, to participate. So I saw this somewhere, it's a quote, Giving Tuesday is a global generosity movement unleashing the power of radical generosity. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you know what? I think it's just, uh, it doesn't have, I actually view it in a, in a very different way. I, I, I view generosity as being, um, it can be quite ordinary, but in that, in those ordinary random gestures, um, that can lead to really extraordinary and I guess radical impact. So how would you describe this year's Giving Tuesday? Give us sort of a breakdown of what you see as we are looking forward to Tuesday, the 28th of November. Yeah, we have on givingtuesday.ca, we have over 10,000 partners, which range from school groups to charities that have uh, registered, have shared their projects, um, and it's just amazing to see this is actually my first year working on Giving Tuesday. I've worked for Canada Helps for many years, but it's just incredible to see. I feel like everywhere I look now, whether it's, you know, in a newspaper ad or in, uh, you know, uh, my, my son is um, doing a food drive uh, for a local charity. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it's amazing to see how, how many people are, 
have gravitated to the notion and how it really can feel good to give. And I think um, that's really our message. We all have the capacity to give. It feels good to give. And we hope that this year is just bigger and better than ever. And explain Canada Help's role in all of this. It seems like it's sort of a central hub, if you will. Yeah, we, we fund the movement. So we, we provide toolkits and graphic assets. We power all of our social channels. Uh, we essentially provide the administration and the support to, to power the movement. And the money raised, the money donated, goes directly to the charity that is, is reaching out to you for support. Is that correct? Absolutely. So Canada Helps is a disbursement partner. So uh, there's over 86,000 charities in Canada, and they have the, the ability to use our fundraising tools to power empower their online fundraising. All right, so it's the weekend before Giving Tuesday. Is it too late for any of us to sort of set some sort of fundraising up, or, or is Canada Helps there to just be a one-stop donation stop, if you will? No, it's not too late. Uh, you could very easily come to givingtuesday.ca, uh, sign up as a partner. You would have the ability to link to a charity or cause of your choice to donate. Um, but it, it could also be, you know, very simple acts. Like it could be, you know, thanking, thanking people in your life, thanking your teachers, thanking your parents. We have we have a number of new initiatives that are focused on populations that are not typically discussed in the realm of generosity. So we've launched a program called It's Cool to be Kind Mm. that uh, we've reached out to teachers across the country um, and have encouraged them to register their projects. And uh, once registered, we'll be sending kids um, an embroidered badge that says it's cool to be kind. So we're hoping to see, um, you know, lots of backpacks adorned with these badges. But yeah, we have over 100, uh, I believe it's over 100 classrooms now participating and close to 4,000 students that have really pledged to, to take on something this coming Tuesday. And those students, those kids are our future, and that's so encouraging, I've got to tell you. So, Tony, let me ask you this. Can one person, one donation, one initiative, one movement, one day, Giving Tuesday, really make a difference? I think it can, and, and, and I'll give you an example. This happened a number of years ago. But I shared it recently on on socials, and the response was just tremendous. But it, it was me on a crowded subway, and a man was sit- seated in front of me and just silently weeping, tears really just streaming down his face. And many people were just, I think it, it was their form of kindness. They thought it would be best to just do a void and not bring attention to it and perhaps not embarrass him. But I had a different thought. And so as I got off the train, to be honest, I wish I'd said it earlier, but I, I just looked at him and I said, I'm sorry that you're sad. And he looked up and his, and really his eyes just lit up and he said, thank you. Oh. Thank you for noticing. Mm. And again, this is like an example of very ordinary generosity, but I truly think it made a difference. And I know it made a difference with me. It perhaps is the reason why I'm in the role that I am in right now. Um, because yeah, it, it transformed me. Wow. I th- that was, so, that was, um, that's an amazing story. And that must have just broken your heart to see him, but filled your heart when he responded the way he did. Absolutely. We don't need to do a lot, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, sometimes the, the, the most beautiful thing is really just acknowledging others, not necessarily trying to, to fix things, but keep them company in terms of where they're at. It's not lost on anyone that this is a very difficult time in our history around the world and right here in our own backyard. We have certainly have challenges financially as, as a nation, as a province, as, an, as, a, as a region. And we see what's going on around the world in terms of conflict. I mean, it's just a dark, dark days. What do you think Giving Tuesday can do to, to add a, shed a little light, to add some light to a, a very dark world right now? Yeah, I, I think you said it perfectly. I think Giving Tuesday can be a counterbalance. It can um, bring some light to these dark days. And, you know, those realities can coexist. And I think that's 
why we persist, why we persist during dark times is um, to have moments where we realize we're not alone and that there's people out there that are willing to stand up for us and support us. And, and that's what Giving Tuesday is all about. Is there a hope that generosity will continue well past Giving Tuesday, Tuesday the 28th of November? Absolutely. Like, obviously, the day itself gets a lot of attention, but the intention really is not just to take on this kind act on one particular day, but really to inspire a wave of generosity, um, not only this coming Tuesday, but beyond. And as we mentioned before with kids, you know, uh, as, as a lifetime, as a lifetime of standing up um, and caring for, for people and causes that are important to us. Well, you have inspired me, you've inspired us. Program Manager, Giving Tuesday Canada, Tony Brem, thank you. And before we go, may I just mention a couple of websites, givingtuesday.ca and canadahelps.org, important for people to visit. Thank you so much for what you're doing, and we'll be thinking about everyone in the world on Giving Tuesday and hoping that what we do, big or small, makes a difference. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks so much, Anne. We're all in this together, standing <laughs> up and caring for one another. Well put. The Clemens family will kick off the holiday season at Roy Thompson Hall on December the 6th. Jim Lang with pinball and a preview. He is uh, the face of the CFL for a lot of people across the country, a Hall of Fame player, a Grey Cup winning coach, a Hall of Fame person, and uh, one of the powers behind Christmas with the Clemens getting ready for the seventh annual edition of Christmas with the Clemens. He is Michael Pinball Clemens, and he joins us on the feed. Michael, how are you, my friend? Excellent, Jimmy. How are you? Good, sir. I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's exciting to get back into the holiday season. Wednesday, December the 6th, Roy Thompson Hall. Doors open at 6. Show begins at 7. Tickets are very reasonably priced. You can go on sale now at christmaswiththeclemens.ca slash event. Um, what does this event mean for you and your family, Michael? Uh, so, you know, this this event is... is uh, um, comes from the, the heart of who Diane grew up to be, right? So her dad sang in a traveling quartet. Oh. And, uh, uh, yes, and uh, uh, so he had a beautiful voice. She grew up singing in church, and and, uh, and so, so this kind of goes back to the heart. And so um, what we wanted to do is give people a chance uh, to, to introduce them to the foundation and the work that we do. And we thought that this was a good way to do it, to have a fun event where we actually have um, all the people who support us during the year uh, come and we could refresh them. And, and it turns out that there's a lot more than the people who support us that wanted to, you know, that, that really enjoyed the concert. So, so now we've, we've, gone from where we were to Roy Thompson Hall, and, and uh, so this is our first time there, uh, and it's turned out to an event where we have just some phenomenal, phenomenal uh, performers, uh, uh, people like Glenn Lewis uh, uh, and Carl, um, I, I don't know, Carl Wolf, I don't know if you've heard him before, he, he just got this, this wonderful, deep, yeah, just, just, just great vibe to, to his voice, and and uh, Simone Denny, who is is known worldwide, and and uh, uh, Pastor Brown is is one of our uh, local favorites, who's there every year. So so it is. Um, we we love the holiday season, and and uh, it is about giving. And through this, we're able to uh, support the youth that we support at the foundation. Well, Carl Wolf, we know well. We play him a lot at the radio station. He's a fabulous talent. Um, so many great talent there. The St. Michael's Choir and so much more in Son Jones. And, and the great thing about Christmas with the Clemens, for me, Michael, is the fact that to date, more than $750,000 has been raised in that mission to provide marginalized and racialized youth with mentorship, education, and employment. And now, with everything going on in the world, we need something like this now more than ever. Uh, well, thank you. Our, our, um, 
our, our team does such a spectacular job. So we uh, we mentor uh, 3,000 young people a year uh, who actually go into a job in, in the tech area. Uh, we, we have um, a couple of other micro-credential programs uh, in both the trades uh, as well as admin where young people uh, who might not be going to college or university or young people who are already through university, uh, college or university, who haven't gotten a job. And these are micro-credential programs that go straight into a job. And uh, so um, with that, over over 3,000 young people a year, and we've, you know, um, we're, we're pretty well across the country now. We're in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, uh, smaller in, in the, the other places in Alberta and BC as well. So we do a little bit of work uh, and uh, hopefully we can get over to the East Coast and, and, uh, and get uh, Montreal, get Quebec in there as well. So, so we're working towards uh, trying to help youth right across the country, uh, but uh, our focus is in the GTA and that's where most of our work happens. Well, you can make a difference as well. Get your tickets now. Christmas with the Clemens, Wednesday, December the 6th, Roy Thompson Hall. It's an amazing venue. It'll be an amazing night of inspiration and music and empowerment. Christmas with the Clemens.ca slash event. Michael Pinball Clemens, as always, a pleasure, my friend. Always a pleasure and big hugs, man. I hope, <laughs> hopefully we'll get a chance to bump into each other uh, again soon. You know it. Next, how South Lake Health Center is being recognized for its efforts to champion organ donation. Glenn Perkins has that story. Dr. Terence Hepp is the interim chief of anesthesiology and physician lead for organ donation at South Lake Regional Health Center. Welcome to the feed. Thank you. Dr. Epp, I would like to start with someone who lost their life recently and their organs were donated. They were a young person. What can you tell me about them? What I can tell about them is that they uh, had a, a tragic incident that brought them into our intensive care unit and uh, their illness was deemed uh, non-survivable and they suffered brain death. Once we declared this person uh, brain dead, we consulted uh, Trillium a Gift of Life uh, to come to determine eligibility of organ donation. Ultimately, uh, this patient was eligible for organ donation and their organs were in quite good condition. Specifically, um, this patient's uh, lungs, heart, liver, kidneys, pancreas and small bowels were deemed to be of good quality to be used and they were successfully uh, transplanted which saved the lives of two children and five adults. How rare is it to be able to harvest organs from someone this young? It varies based on the um, condition. I think, you know, when patients become eligible for organ donation, um, the organs that we retrieve are really dependent on the status of the patient. In general terms, uh, usually the, the younger the patient, the more healthy the organs are. So it's more likely that we would be able to uh, retrieve uh, more organs. Um, and that's just based on the clinical nature that as the older you get, your organs are not as robust as they were when you were young. What length of waiting times are patients seeing that require specific transplants and how many patients are there? I don't have specific waiting times for you, but I think what I'd like to convey as a physician, a leader for organization is that, first of all, one organ donor can save up to eight lives. And in terms of the amount of organ donation that is needed, there's about 1,400 Ontario people that are in need of a life-saving organ transplant and thousands more in need of life-restoring tissue transplants. As it stands right now, about every three days, somebody does die uh, while they're waiting for an organ. Dr. Epp, I have no idea how many people are involved in the transplant process, but I'm assuming there has to be a fair number of healthcare professionals. Uh, you know, Glenn, that is a fantastic question. There are many, many different key players involved, and I can speak to my real-life experience as an anesthesiologist and intensive care physician. 
So first, what happens is that uh, once a patient is eligible for ordination, we need to do a lot of coordination behind the scenes. What that basically means is that we have an organ donation team that specifically works with the family of the organ donor. We involve many team players. So on one hand, we first of all have to coordinate and look on the organ recipient side. We need to find out who are the organ recipients that are eligible and it's timed accordingly based on various hospitals throughout Ontario. And then we also have to make sure that the organ recipient patients themselves are like ready. During this time in our hospital, we need to coordinate with the operating room, uh, which includes operating room nurses and also anesthesiologists. And what we all do is we try to uh, find a time that is mutually acceptable to all the team members, keeping in mind that the ultimate goal is how do we retrieve the organs to ensure optimal success of implantation in the recipient. So as you can see, there are a lot of moving parts. Sometimes things change and get delayed because of like the weather or because of the weather, we have to move things earlier rather than later. At the end of the day, you know, this chaos is, to be honest, actually controlled, but it's totally worth it because we get to see um, the benefits of organ donation. The type of medicine is not something that many of us think about. How can we change that? I think how we can change us is by, you know, doing things like what you're doing, having more uh, media through uh, print and radio, and just to educate the public about the importance of organ donation, both on the organ donor side and also the organ recipient side. I think that sometimes these conversations cause some discomfort for multiple reasons, but I think getting through that discomfort through open and honest, transparent talking about these issues is just going to lead to more education, which would then raise awareness about the importance of organ donation. That was an area that I was going to raise, that this is delicate. Well, we have certain protocols on how families are approached. In general, when patients are meeting criteria or approaching you know, a level of severity where we feel that uh, they may not be likely to survive, we call the Ontario Trillium Gift of Life and a specialized organ donation team, if you will, comes in and speaks to a family. And the reason for this is that they have the experience to discuss and elucidate like the wishes of the family, but also it helps keep an arm's length approach between like the treating physician and also asking for eligibility for organ donation. Dr. Epp, what would your message be to our listeners concerning organ donation? I would say that if you are a member of the public who is considering organ donation, I'd highly recommend that you go online and take a look at our, our resources. Um, you can just do a simple Google on Trillium Gift of Life. There's a lot of resources there. And just think about what it means to be an organ donor based on your belief, but also the impact on other people. I think that if you are somebody who's already an organ donor and you're very enthusiastic about it is to talk to your friends, talk to your families about it because there's a lot of people also that are not aware about organ donation because they just feel like they don't need to talk about it. And so that's what I would really encourage. I think the other message I want to send is that organ donors do save lives. That's really important. Dr. Terence Ipp, Chief of Anesthesiology and Physician Lead for Organ Donations at South Lake Regional Health Centre. Thank you for joining us on the feed. Oh, you're very welcome. To find out more about the Trillium Gift of Life Network, you can go online at giftoflife.on.ca. After the break, the hot topics from the city of Vaughan. The Feed News Magazine will be right back. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back. Tis the season to start preparing for the holidays, to embrace for the many cultural celebrations taking place in the coming weeks, and to get ready for... Winter weather. And joining us now to talk about all of the comings and goings in the city of Vaughan is its mayor, Stephen Del Duca. Mayor Del Duca, welcome to the show. It's always great to touch base with you. 
Well, it's fantastic to be back on with you, Anne. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, and let's get going. So Vaughn is winter ready. I saw it on your website uh, a little earlier this month. That's a great headline. <laughs> it is. Now, I think, listen, I think every single person is hoping that we don't get too much snow and certainly no freezing rain or any of the stuff that makes, you know, life a little bit more difficult. But we know living in Canada, living where we do, we know winter is coming, and it's so important for us as a city, and we are, uh, to be 100% ready for whatever winter might throw at us. Uh, so we are. We've got our, our entire uh, team ready to go. I had the chance to be out and take a close look at the snow plows and the rest of the equipment and machinery. I had a chance to, to chat with some of our uh, public works staff who are going to be out there making sure that our roads and our sidewalks are kept clear and kept safe. Uh, we have more than 230 vehicles that help uh, clear and maintain uh, over 2,000 what we call lane kilometers of roads and more than 1,200 kilometers of sidewalks and park walkways just right here in Vaughan. So I know the team is ready. They have really great machinery and equipment, and uh, we've already seen it out on the city's roads. They've started to lay down some of what's known as the, uh, the anti-icing liquid or the brine that gets put down whenever we have colder temperatures coming. So our team is ready. We don't want we don't want it to be a bad thing. <laughs> We're certainly ready to take on whatever Mother Nature throws our way. And here's the question. How can Vaughn resident citizens help? Yeah, it's so important to remember that, you know, things like our parking bylaw. And I know most regular people don't have that memorized, but here's a good example. On-street parking is not permitted anywhere in the city of Vaughn between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. That's really important because if you're parked illegally, that could interfere with the snow clearing, the operations, the vehicles that we have. We have a specific separate bylaw uh, that deals with snow clearing itself that, again, just helps us uh, be set up, again, to, to tackle whatever Mother Nature is throwing our way. We, we ask that people set their waste bins on waste collection days back a little bit from the curb, about one meter on the right-hand side of your driveway where that's possible. That's when you're facing the house. I never place them on top of or behind snow banks. Things like that, keeping fire hydrants clear and accessible, again, one meter all the way around. If everybody does their, their part and in our city and people do their part every day of the week year-round, that just makes it that little bit easier for our operations team, our public works team, to be out there keeping everybody safe. And for more information, go to vaughnca slash snow. Exactly. <laughs> Let's, all of us, take a deep breath and say, ah. Oh, my first year is over, and we're speaking for you. <laughs> you marked your first year in office earlier this month. That Congratulations, and you and council, you. as you look back, what's the one word to describe your first year in office? You know, I would say it's been exhilarating, and mm. it's moved so quickly. It is really hard for me, and I'm pretty sure for all of council, to realize it's been one full year. There's a lot that we've tackled. There's a lot of challenges still coming our way. But it's such a phenomenal city. The people are great. I'm so proud to represent this community as mayor. I think we've we've had the chance to tackle head-on a couple of things that I know are really top of mind for our residents. Talking, of course, about traffic gridlock, that's something that I ran on, as you'll recall. I'm excited that Council endorsed my nine-point plan to fight traffic gridlock, and we've started to make some tangible headway in that regard, road construction projects on Kirby that have started, for example, and early in the new year, early in 2024, we're going to have some additional good news about some other east-west connections in our city that we're going to be starting construction on. Uh, community safety and is probably the thing I hear most about uh, in terms of phone calls, emails, and even bumping into residents at the grocery store. I hear it everywhere I go. Our community has always been very, very safe. The last couple of years, we've seen a really, um, I'll say, nerve-wracking uptick in crimes against property. That's specifically home break-ins and, and auto thefts. So as a council, we've responded to those increasing concerns to make sure we're positioning our residents to be able to protect their property as much as possible. We've also been working closely with York Regional Police. All of our regional councillors, me included, we've been voting to make sure that they get the budget increases that they need. So. You know, I would say traffic gridlock, making sure that our community can remain safe. And then lastly, just making sure that we have our city looking and feeling clean and healthy, whether that's tackling litter or dealing with some of the other things that we have. I know that our entire public works and bylaw team are working really hard to make sure Vaughn remains as beautiful as it's always been. So it's been exciting. 
Uh, but there's still a lot more for us to tackle. And that includes money well spent. So earlier this week, you tabled uh, the 2024 budget for the city of Vaughan. How is it looking? You know, I'm really proud of the great work that our city staff, in particular, and our, our treasurer and our finance team, uh, working with everybody across every single department, put a lot of work into making sure that Despite the challenges we face where, you know, our revenues have dropped a little bit because of provincial legislation, but we still have a very strong desire to deliver world-class amenities and, and again, keep our city safe and beautiful and growing. I think we've, 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 we've managed to, to, to deal with all of that at the same time taking into account that the people of Vaughan, not unlike people everywhere, are facing a real affordability crisis. So there is a property tax increase that we did include when we tabled this year's budget that's being proposed. It's 3%. Uh, it was really important to me and I know our staff and certainly our council, I'm sure, uh, to, within that context of the affordability crisis, not put an undue burden on our residents. At 3%, and I think that will, that will mean that Vaughan remains one of the most affordable places in which to live from a property tax perspective across York Region or across the GTA. It'll amount for the average home in the city of Vaughan, it'll amount to about 5 or $6 more per month that a resident would have to pay for their property taxes. So nobody likes to raise taxes, but I think it's actually a, a, a really thoughtful and responsible way for us to tackle what we need to do, but also keeping in mind we don't want to put an unnecessary undue burden on our residents. So I'm really proud of the, of the budget that we've tabled. I think it's going to have broad support, I hope, from council and a little bit later this year, we'll see if it passes and becomes the official budget. But I'm excited about what's contained in it. And I think it sets us up for some really great success going forward. Mayor Del Duca, tis the season to celebrate so much of what is to come. And one thing that stands out for me is your Festive Lights program. It's new this year. What's its purpose? How would you describe it? Yeah, it is It is a brand new thing that we've done. We actually, uh, we kicked it off a number of days ago at City Hall. We lit up a beautiful sign in the in the windows, the front-facing windows into our courtyard that say, save on. It's an opportunity for us, you know, in particular with what's happening in so many places around the world, in particular coming out uh, of the, the intensity of the COVID-19 pandemic, being able to talk about, you know, light, being able to, being able to talk about uh, sort of the, the the notion of light prevailing over dark and and hope over over pessimism and knowledge over you know you know ignorance all of these things good over evil it's such an important backdrop to this so this is a new program uh, that we started this year and it's it's really meant to recognize those in our community who go above and beyond decorating their homes or their properties with exceptional pride in their light displays it provides an opportunity for residents to celebrate each other's cultures and bonds, incredible diversity, which I'm really happy about. For people your listeners should know, you can nominate yourself or a neighbor or a business, literally, whose lights shine bright. Mm. You can nominate them by emailing festivecelebrations at vaughn.ca. February 1st, 2024 is the deadline. Include the property owner's name, the address, photos of their festive lights. This is a way for us to acknowledge the design, the overall aesthetic of the, of the property that's visually appealing, the lights, the decorations, the creativity, the maintenance of, of the entire setup. And I look, I think it's just one more way for us to celebrate as an incredible community. How important was the inaugural Diwali celebration for the city of Vaughan? It took place on Monday, the 20th of November. So earlier this week, how important was marking that? Well, it's, it's really interesting, and because we've never done it before as a city, there's a number of things that we've, we've done <clears throat> over the course of the past 12 months that we've never done before. Diwali is a really good example. Tamil Heritage Month, a number of months ago, there's a series of celebrations, community, uh, diverse celebrations that, that we've, we've staged or we've hosted at the city. And my overarching message to residents, which I also echoed at our Diwali celebration, was that City Hall as a building, it doesn't belong to the politicians, it doesn't belong to our city staff, it belongs to the whole community. It's a focal point. The doors, you know, we throw them wide open. We want everyone to come in and feel comfortable. We've never done a Diwali celebration before, so we didn't know what to expect. And I'm going to tell you, we had, I think, over 400 people show up. Uh, the atrium of our city hall, which is a spectacular part of our building, was overflowing. The performances, the dancers, the poetry, the singing, everything was beautiful, so colorful. 
Then we had a reception afterwards. I actually got behind the table and I was helping to serve food to our residents. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> and so, yeah, so many, well, it was better, better me serving it than eating it. Let me tell you that right now. Because, you know, trying to keep the pounds off these days, Dan, getting into the festive season. But I'll tell you something. There were so many residents who came up to me and said, you know, Stephen, Mr. Mayor, we've lived in Vaughn for so many years and we never thought we'd see the day where we would be able to celebrate the Wally, which is so important mm. to so many in our community. People were touched. They were excited to be there. And I pledged, along with council, this will become an annual fixture in our city. We'll be doing it every year. And I think the numbers and the excitement will only grow. And we want to look forward now. So the city of Vaughan is hosting the annual Christmas tree lighting on Friday, December 1st. But I want to move even further into December. And these are two very important and significant events taking place for reasons that are obvious. What's going on uh, between Israel and Hamas and the conflict and the, the devastation. Sunday, December the 10th, Vaughan is hosting a Hanukkah celebration. Monday, December 11th, a menorah lighting ceremony. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to both of these. The menorah lighting ceremony is something that's taken place in the city of Vaughan at City Hall for many, many years. I had the chance to participate in my first one as mayor last year. It was um, a very poignant ceremony or, or service last year. Uh, Rabbi Mendel Kaplan, who was the founder and, and spiritual leader of Chabad Flamingo and Thornhill in our city, uh, will will be there like he was last year. He'll preside over the festival, you know, what's known as the Festival of Lights ceremony. That's on December the 11th at 4 p.m. at City Hall. Everyone's welcome. The whole community, the entire community is welcome. And just the day before that, uh, as you mentioned a second ago, we're going to be having a Hanukkah celebration, but it's also a celebration to mark the, the grand reopening of Garnet Williams Community Center, which has been going through a really significant, I'll say, rebuild over over the last number of months. So that's going to be happening at Garnet Williams Community Center, 501 Clark Avenue West. Uh, that's uh, going to be starting at 4.30, going to 6.30, with the Hanukkah celebration specifically at 5 p.m. inside the facility. That's going to be a really great party, and because I know that our community in the east end of our city has been waiting quite some time to see what the new Garnet Williams, the rebuilt Garnet Williams Community Center looks like. So it's going to be a great opportunity to celebrate Hanukkah, celebrate the reopening of the community center, and just be together and celebrate together as a community. I'm looking forward to it. And are you concerned at all for the safety of those who will be in attendance both Sunday the 10th and Monday the 11th, based on what we've seen in the GTA over the past several weeks since the start of the war? Yeah, listen, it's been really, really distressing um, and troubling for me as mayor to have had so many conversations with residents in the Jewish community and frankly, residents in our Muslim community as well, who have seen, you know, certainly what we see on television, what we see on social media. Uh, it's really, really difficult to watch all of this and to know that in 2023, heading into 2024, that we still have to say the words out loud that hate and discrimination and racism and bigotry, whether that's in the form of anti-Semitism, you know, or the hatred of Jews that's at its core, or Islamophobia, Again, the hatred of Muslims or Islam that's at its core, totally, totally unacceptable. So while it's distressing that we have to say these words, it is so important for leaders to remind those who we are leading, our respective communities, it's not welcome here. Not only is it not welcome here, we have to push back hard against it. York Regional Police has done an absolutely outstanding job responding to the concerns that people have in our community, sadly. We have had a couple of incidents in Vaughan over the last number of weeks that, you know, really have caused great concern. I've been speaking to community leaders. I've been in regular contact with York Regional Police. So it's always a top of mind concern, particularly given what's happening right now in the Middle East. But I have no doubt that between our own city staff, the residents themselves who are vigilant at all times, and in particular York Regional Police, I have no doubt that we'll be able to make sure that everybody who's attending these celebrations, all of our celebrations, are safe and secure and can focus on having fun and mm. celebrating rather than the anxiety that they might be feeling. So, again, I'm, we are vigilant, but we are. Uh, I am optimistic that everything will be just fine. Love one another. Stand united. Those are the two things that we believe in in our family. And I know that you are spreading that word throughout the city of Vaughan and beyond. Mayor Stephen Del Duca, thank you so much. And I look forward to touching base with you in December. Me too, and thank you. I always appreciate this opportunity. <laughs> our pleasure, and thank you very much.
When we return, making the connection across generations, that story is coming up on the feed. Stay with us. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Some Richmond Hill students are sharing their talents and much more through GenConnect. Tina Cortez with the story. Ethan Bowie is a grade 11 student at St. Teresa High School in Richmond Hill. Ethan, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Oh, thank you for having me. So let's get started. Tell us about GenConnect. Yeah, so uh, GenConnect is a student-ran registered nonprofit organization aiming to con uh, connect generations to the power of entertainment. Uh, we host events commonly at retirement homes where students of all ages can come out, perform, give back, and ultimately connect with the audience there. Uh, the audience really enjoys the entertainment and uh, fosters connections with the younger generation. Uh, what uh, really makes Gen Connect unique is that it's not just about the performance that uh, happens. Uh, really, our events feature uh, an open dialogue conversation where students get to talk about themselves, talk about what, they, what they're performing and what it means to them. And at the same time, we uh, get to hear from the audience and the older generation. So it's really using entertainment as a tool to connect generations together. And what kind of entertainment is featured? Is it all singing and dancing? Uh, yeah, so we have a variety. So it's any type of art. So we've had singing, uh, we've had dancing, uh, we've had people playing the guitar, we've had a st uh, strings ensemble come. And uh, in our next upcoming events, we've even had people uh, signing up to uh, perform, uh, to, to do like an arts and crafts activity. So it's any, really any type of arts and entertainment. I've got to ask, where did the idea for Gen Connect come from? Yeah, so the uh, idea came uh, from, it was me, uh, my siblings, Evan Bui and Mayon Bui, and it was, uh, during COVID when uh, I picked up a couple of new instruments. At the time, I played piano, and I learned to play the guitar and sing a little bit. And I remember one instance uh, where it was uh, my extended, and fam extended family and I uh, went to my grandma's house to sing her happy birthday, because it was her birthday during that time, and we were all locked at home. And it, it was at these moments like these where I realized that, you know, performing and entertainment, it's more than just putting on a show. It's really about the meaningful connections that are fostered through entertainment. Uh, so I decided to bring that idea to Gen Connect, which uh, stems from the name Generations Connect. And at the time, I remember a lot of people heard that uh, seniors were locked at home and uh, many of them were feeling lonely. So I decided to bring the idea to Gen, Gen Connect, which aims to connect generations through entertainment. Why is this so important to you? Is it a, about your grandmother? Does it extend beyond that? Uh, it really extends beyond that because although uh, when people hear about Giant Connect, they hear about performing, uh, they hear about you know the uh, strings ensemble that came, but really Giant Connect is about giving back to the community, and I really value that. Uh, really, I can go perform anywhere. I can go. Uh, I, I, anyone can really perform. Uh, they can go busk, someone can go perform at a, co a concert hall. Mm -hmm. But what's unique about Gen Connect is that it's giving back to a community to performing. Uh, first of all, we're giving back to uh, seniors. Uh, they really enjoy the entertainment, seeing youth come out and give back. And we're also giving back to students, as uh, many students really enjoy the unique opportunity of performing and the uh, fun of it. Really uh, getting out there and performing, it's actually really fun, and I think that it's, it's for everyone. What's the reaction been? Uh, the reaction from uh, community has been great. Uh, we've been getting a lot of community support after, especially after our uh, being featured on York Region News. Uh, feedback have, from students have been great. Uh, a lot of them love the unique opportunity that they're able to come perform and also get volunteers at the same time. Uh, from residents and retirement homes, they've really loved it. We've talked to many residents. Uh, some of the comments from residents is that they enjoy seeing students come out uh, and perform, and it's really unique to see students performing. Uh, they uh, love the variety performances. They get to see, uh, hear songs that are, that are from the 60s and 70s and also songs that are uh, from the present day. So they really enjoy that opportunity. So what's next for Gen Connect? Uh, we, uh, Gen Connect really has uh, big goals. Uh, we hope to reach uh, more people around our region, uh, expanding not to just our region, but uh, provincially and even uh, throughout Canada in the future. So we really want to continue having a, a great, a really great impact. And... Uh, we cannot do that without community support, so I'd like to thank uh, all the community support, and I look forward to much more. 
Uh, we've also just recently started a new program in Jankana called Empowering Youth Through Music. And this program aims to give the less privileged students an opportunity to learn music. And uh, if I can tell you a little bit about this program, it's a nine-week program where students are connected to a music teacher. And at the end of the nine weeks, they perform at one of our events. And this is all funded by our generous donors. That's terrific. How about a shout-out for your talented team? And it's made up of some of your siblings, right? Yeah, so it's uh, made up of me, uh, my, my siblings, Evan Buin, Malin Buin, and we also have a couple other students from our school. If listeners want more information or, you know, there are students out there who want to get involved, how do they contact you? Um, they can uh, contact us through our, uh, you can look at our website, genconnect.ca, so it's gen-connect.ca. We have all our information on there, our email and everything, and you can also follow us on Instagram at gen.connects. Ethan, I got to say, your, your family must be very proud of you. Yes, uh, thank you Thank you so much for having me on our 105.9. We're thrilled. Thanks again and keep in touch. Yes, thank you so much. Next, how Gen Z is hoping to improve the workplace. Shaliza Backus with the change in office etiquette. Office etiquette. It's an interesting topic to discuss, and you'll get different answers and opinions depending on who you ask, more specifically, depending on the generation that person was born into. Joining me now to talk about this is Michael French, National Director at Robert Half Canada. How are you, Michael? Hi, Shaliza. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining me. Okay, I, I feel like... Well, we blame the pandemic for a lot of things that have been going on, but I feel like things have become more lax in the office. And if you ask people from, you know, maybe the Gen X generation, maybe even some millennials, I'm sure they're sitting in the office looking around going, what the heck is going on here? Well, you, I think you hit a nail on the head. The COVID pandemic did change how many of us engage with our workforce and our colleagues. And so we asked almost 600 workers across Canada about office etiquette and some blunders. And not surprising, I, I heard number one is loud talkers. And you see that 37%. So that means people are used to working at home, working remote, very quiet in your, in your kitchen, maybe in your office, and you're all by yourself. And now you're in the office and someone's sitting beside you and they're talking loud and you're not used to it. So number one was loud talkers. And then number two, at 35%, was the office gossip. So now you're all back together and oh my goodness, all the gossip going around, <laughs> something that we aren't really used to. That water cooler just goes nonstop. I'll be honest with you, I do partake in those things. And if you ask anybody in our office here at 105.9, I'm probably one of the loudest people in the building. But I feel like I know when to reel it in, and maybe that's the difference. Well, you're talking to, as well, the loud talker in my office. <laughs> so the two of us together, I couldn't imagine sitting side by side. And the third point, this one is interesting, and this is sort of thinking, you've been at home probably when a, in a very nice top if you're ever on video calls, but maybe in pajama bottoms, it came through being appropriate dress. And I got to tell you, we don't see many people in suit and tie anymore. There's a few, but lots of people are definitely a fair bit more business casual. And then we see a lot of times with the, uh, you see people in suits or maybe more, more dressy, but they're wearing the fancy sneakers. So, you know, we definitely have become a lot more, let's say, business casual or maybe it's smart casual than we used to be very corporate. You know, I kind of like that term smart casual because I'll be honest with you, heels every day for women or whoever wants to wear them, it's it's not comfortable, okay? And if if TikTok and Pinterest tell me that sneakers can go with a business casual outfit, I'm going to wear them. Well, I've seen some really fancy sneakers and some very nice businessy attire, so I'm definitely on that on that bandwagon. I'm not comfy in those uh, very very formal shoes either, mm -hmm. so I do take advantage of sometimes the uh, the more the sneaker look. So I, I agree with you. I think it's safe to say, Michael, that times have definitely changed. But do you think that these minor changes really affect productivity in the office? That's a really good point, and there's a lot of things now that we're talking about that affect productivity. Sometimes you hear some companies saying, well, people work better in the office, they collaborate. Some say well, they work better at home where they're, they can focus on work. So there's a number of things that are affecting productivity. Um, I think being comfortable is one of them. But then at the same time, you want to make sure you are putting forward a very professional demeanor. That comes through in personality. That comes through in appearance and dress. It is work. We're not necessarily out all uh, living the streets and living uh, carefree. It, it, it is work. 
So, you know what, you, you do want to be comfortable, but at the same time, you do want to be professional, put forth a very professional appearance. Now, let's talk about actually being professional. Do you feel as though etiquette has become a little more lax? And if it has, is there any training required? Well, I think it's a great time for many organizations to dust off the old handbooks that probably haven't updated in a long time and figure out sort of who you're going to be as a company post-COVID. And it might mean that we have to revisit some dress codes. It might mean that we give examples of what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate. But it's a great time to actually refresh and provide some training. This sort of shocked me. We asked if there was training in office etiquette, would you want to attend? So across the board, 68% 68% said yes, they want to attend. And when it came to Gen Z, our newest employees, 88% said they'd love to attend office etiquette training. That kind of surprised me because I can think the last thing I want to attend is office etiquette training. I'm not interested in that, but you know what? Maybe I should be going to that, actually. Yeah, and that surprised me too because I feel like maybe this is just aging me or aging all of us, but sometimes I just like, I sit back and I look at like the Gen Z-ers and I'm like, what happened? What is going on? Like, there are so many things, so many mannerisms that would be unheard of, let's say, 10 years ago. Well, here's what's interesting. Many times the Gen Z sort of get painted in the bad. You know, they take a lot of flack. They take a lot of criticism. But I got to tell you, when we talk to them and talk to companies, they're actually some of the ones that are doing some of the best work. When we ask them who wants to go back to the office, surprisingly, Gen Z are the ones who say, I want to go back to the office. I want to go back to the office with, with people. I want my boss to be there. I want my mentors to be there. I want to go back for training. So you give them a reason, and they will show up in the office. No other cohort was so high so they wanted to go back as Gen Z. But you have to think, this is the group that just came out of school. Mm-hmm. They're the most recent graduates. They're dying for the office experience. They haven't had it. So if you give them a reason to come back, the boss is going to be there. The boss is going to talk to everybody. They want to do some one-on-ones or have a mentor. They are all into that. So if you want people back in the office, give them a reason to come back. Sometimes it can be some FaceTime with the leader or the senior executives. And your Gen Z team, they're going to be there. You literally took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say, you know, Gen Z are probably the generation that had the most taken away from them during the pandemic. So thank you for reading my mind. And when it comes to observing in the office, what are some of the main differences you see through the generations? Because right now we've got about three generations working in one office. Well, I tell you, we actually have four because we were at the very end of the boomers. Okay. So many, over COVID, many boomers chose, it was now it's time to retire. So now we have the boomers leaving, but you're right. We have the Xers, the Y, the Zs, and all that. So we're all here together. There's a couple things. You want to, first of all, be observant. You want to make notes. If you're a leader, you don't want to jump to any conclusions, but you want to also be very mindful. Anytime you have to speak with somebody on sort of office procedure or etiquette, you want to do it in private. You, want, you don't want to call them out in front of other people or the colleagues. You want to do it in private. You want to do it with kindness. You want to actually ask questions, give examples, talk about what would be appropriate, talk about something that the behavior that you saw or the dress that you saw and how, what would it take to improve it. But most of all, approach them with kindness and an open mind and listen. Too many times I think leaders sometimes do too much talking and not enough listening, but at the same time, make sure the message comes through crystal clear. At the end of it, make sure you you reiterate what you expect from your people. Amazing. Thank you for that advice. I think that has been very helpful. Michael French, National Director at Robert Half Canada. If our listeners want some more information, where can they go? Check out our website, roberthalf.ca. All the information we have is there, and reach out to us any questions that you have. All right, Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on. If you missed any part of the feed, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you so much for listening.